In 2009, 60-year-old fire and brimstone preacher Ronald Wineland stood on a stage finishing his sermon for a small theater full of skeptics. As his allotted time was coming to a close, he gave his final thunderous remarks. The crowd offered polite applause. As the clapping of the crowd diminished in the background, Wineland walked backstage, where a reporter stopped him. With lights from a camera in his eyes, Wineland spoke into a mic and declared that during the imminent end of days, there will be two primary voices claiming to be channeling the Word of God and issuing end times predictions, God's prophet and a false prophet. He claimed to be the real prophet chosen by God. The interviewer asked Wineland if he knew who the false prophet was. Wineland nodded and said, it's the Pope. There are 1.2 billion Catholics in the world, and I understand they believe what he says, and that's going to have tremendous sway at the end. When the reporter replied for clarification, Wineland interrupted and said with a wry smile, he's going to be saying the same thing about me. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, its leader, and its followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week in a one-part episode, we'll focus on Ronald Wineland and his end times prophecy faith, the Church of God preparing for the Kingdom of God. We'll hear how Wineland started his church, his startling prophecies, and what happened to land him behind bars. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to The Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Billions of people across the globe go to various religious services each week, all looking for meaning and comfort from the world outside. 
And as long as technology has been evolving, so has the method for spreading these religious messages. First came the printing press, then radio, television, and finally the internet. And in the early 2010s, at the forefront of the digital age was Ronald Wineland. But Wineland didn't occupy the fringe sections of the internet. On the surface, his beliefs were somewhat pedestrian. He preached the basic tenets of conservative Christianity. But just under the surface, Wineland pushed a fear-based, apocalyptic message. His followers would only be saved if they listened to him, and the rest of the world would burn in hell. Ronald Wineland's apocalyptic web sermons wouldn't be possible without a pre-internet influence. Before Wineland was born, a fire and brimstone preacher ran an old-time radio broadcast that captivated Christian listeners. Starting in 1934, 42-year-old former advertising executive Herbert W. Armstrong founded the Radio Church of God. It was a distant offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Armstrong sermonized on a small AM radio program called The World Tomorrow and published a magazine called The Plain Truth. He adhered to the rules of the Old Testament and identified as a Christian fundamentalist. Armstrong preached creationism, observed the Sabbath on Saturday, and celebrated Jewish festivals. Armstrong considered Christian holidays such as Easter and Christmas pagan and forbade his followers from celebrating them. The preacher enforced kosher dietary restrictions on his followers, such as abstaining from pork and shellfish, but most importantly, Armstrong strongly advocated for tithing. However, Armstrong had limited success with his old-school, Old Testament teachings. To cast a wider net, Armstrong rebranded his church as the Worldwide Church of God in 1947. This simple change led to a rash of growth that continued for decades. At the church's peak, it boasted at least 100,000 core followers all over the world, and Armstrong didn't feel shy about sharing his success. He repeatedly preached over the airwaves that the church's rapid growth was indicative of God's favor. In the 1960s, he started carrying his messages in a television ministry. Halfway across the country, Armstrong's boastful words reached an impressionable 20-year-old college student. For Ronald E. Wineland and the rest of the United States, 1969 was a tumultuous year. Against the backdrop of the Vietnam War and civil unrest, it appears that Wineland first heard Armstrong's radio sermons. Wineland immediately felt struck by the messages, which may have given him a sense of stability, as well as some direction and purpose in life. Wineland believed in Armstrong's conservative biblical teachings so strongly that he didn't even do any research about the worldwide Church of God. Without consulting scriptures, Wineland dove right into following Armstrong. That year, Wineland chose to be baptized into the church. He wanted to devote his life to the organization and carried that belief back with him to college. But after being awakened by Armstrong, secular schooling didn't fulfill Wineland anymore. He couldn't reconcile what his classes were teaching him with his beliefs. So, in 1972, Wineland continued his education at a new school, this time attending an Armstrong-affiliated university, Ambassador College in England, to study ministry. Ambassador College, however, was an uncredited institution, so the theology department likely taught only the tenets of the Worldwide Church of God. But that suited Wineland just fine. He felt called to ministry in the church. Wineland completely lost himself in his education and quickly proved popular. 
Unfortunately, the campus in England closed in 1974 after financial troubles. Luckily, Wineland was able to transfer to an affiliated Ambassador College in Big Sandy, Texas. There, he thrived academically, but more importantly, he met fellow student Laura Short. Another ardent follower of Armstrong, the pair hit it off instantly. As Wineland approached the end of his time at school, they grew closer, spending their days studying together and going out on dates. Soon after graduation, he and Laura were married and moved to Houston. For Wineland, the young man who'd once felt so disillusioned, everything seemed right in the world. However, it appears that that feeling didn't last for long. Wineland's aspiration of ministering in the church didn't materialize right away. He had to find other work, and at some point became a salesman for a petrochemical company. Over time, though, this disappointment turned to contentment as Wineland felt good about supporting a family, especially when Laura gave birth to their baby daughter, Audra. Although successful at his job and proud, it seems that Wineland wasn't entirely fulfilled by the daily 9-to-5 grind. Instead, he felt that strong calling he received in 1969 to serve God. So Wineland became a minister in the Worldwide Church of God in 1981. He committed himself completely to his work and soon led a congregation. As the family put down roots, Laura gave birth to their second child, Jeremy. For years, every aspect of Wineland's life, his education, his marriage, and his career were completely tied up with and immersed in the teachings of Herbert Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God. But then, on January 16, 1986, 93-year-old Armstrong passed away. By that point, the church had been in trouble for a decade, with accusations of financial mismanagement, sexual impropriety, and cult-like behavior. Leadership of the church passed to Joseph Tkach, who, over the next several years, shifted the church toward mainstream evangelicalism by overturning most of Armstrong's conservative rules. While Wineland was devastated by losing Armstrong, the changes to the church cut deeper. Wineland had devoted much of his time to the teachings that changed his life, and now Tkach was undoing everything. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. Wineland was reeling as the religion he dedicated his adult life to was being dismantled. In the book, A Doomsday Reader, Prophets, Predictors, and Hucksters of Salvation, scholar Ted Daniels discusses the making of a doomsday prophet based around an idea he calls personal apocalypse. A person who considers himself a prophet is typically an outsider and a visionary who has undergone a dramatic conversion, a personal apocalypse, towards a new belief system. As Wineland's world dropped out from under him, he knew he couldn't follow along with the worldwide Church of God anymore. He would have to turn his back on his faith and come out the other side of this experience a new man with a new religion. While Wineland had already been converted into the faith of Herbert Armstrong, with Armstrong's death, he felt a second conversion towards a new path. Daniels writes, conversion affects radical, literally soul-shaking change to the person who undergoes it. It is personal apocalypse, just as apocalypse is a planetary conversion, and both are a final healing from which there will be no looking back. He continues, writing, 
Where they are visionaries, the vision typically comes upon them following a personal crisis. Wineland's vision to begin his own church came out of this personal apocalypse. By spring of 1995, he had splintered from the Worldwide Church of God and was living with his family in Ohio. Wineland said Tkach was one of the false prophets mentioned in Paul the Apostle's second epistle to the Thessalonians and then declared that God had made him an apostle and a prophet of the end times. Dozens of other Armstrong loyalists heard this message and defected. They threw their support behind Wineland, who reinstituted all of Armstrong's fundamentalist restrictions. Three years later, Wineland formally established the Church of God preparing for the Kingdom of God, with himself as absolute leader. On his website, Wineland, or member of his staff, writes that, Wineland is the last apostle in a long lineage of apostles, beginning with the original 12 who were established in 31 AD. With this attitude, Armstrong preached about Armageddon. He warned that mankind was on the brink of destruction by nuclear annihilation. Wineland said as humanity lurched ever closer to the end, only those who followed him would be part of the one true church of God and safe. He spoke to his followers of the second coming of Jesus Christ and warned them to be ready. He insisted that an important part of preparation was tithing. In his interpretation, the Bible mandated that the faithful should financially support their church and religious leaders, and Wineland emphasized that he needed funds to continue his good work. One thing he didn't need to raise money for, interestingly, was a place to worship. Unlike most church leaders, he didn't build a physical building for sermons. Instead, every Saturday afternoon, Wineland posted pre-recorded audio sermons to his website from his home. His worshipers listened and sent their donations. This doesn't seem extraordinary now, but this wasn't so common in the 1990s. It was especially rare for someone of Wineland's age to embrace what was pretty new technology. But in a way, it was the perfect method to reach his hundreds of followers. Wineland had first heard the words of his idol, Herbert Armstrong, through tinny AM radio broadcasts. By distributing his message online, Wineland felt that he was walking in the footsteps of the man he admired above all others. There was also the benefit of reaching more people who tithed, and courtesy of these funds, Wineland traveled extensively to places like Jerusalem, claiming to convert even more people. But some of the other locations were unconventional and seemed more like vacation spots. By 2002, he'd likely accumulated hundreds of thousands of dollars. He even confessed in a broadcast that he'd opened a Swiss bank account to safeguard the funds. Because, of course, when Armageddon came, the United States economy would collapse. He said the account was going to be in his name instead of the church. It seems church members never questioned Wineland's reasoning. Wineland honed in on his followers' blind faith and began to tell them about a coming apocalypse. He set a date for the end of the world, September 30th, 2008. While they waited for it to arrive, he knew he could extract more money out of his flock. And with each passing day, Wineland gained even more control of their lives. Next, we'll learn what can happen to those who didn't follow Wineland's church. The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, 
there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. Mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loie, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. Now back to the story. After the dismantling of Herbert Armstrong's church, preacher Ronald Wineland started a new sect, the Church of God Preparing for the Kingdom of God, and the new venture was financially thriving. So much so that Wineland opened up a Swiss bank account using church funds, but he didn't stop there. He also invested in gold, silver, and diamonds, which some say his wife Laura wore on her fingers. That way, Wineland explained, there would be some physical, liquid assets available if he needed to barter during the end times. Wineland predicted that after the financial collapse, World War III would begin. The Pope would be revealed as the Antichrist, and billions would die in a nuclear apocalypse. It was around this time that Wineland incorporated his church as a religious nonprofit with the U.S. government. He wasn't required to reveal any financial details to the government. But as Wineland celebrated his success, not everyone in the church was as supportive. Even though the Church of God preparing for the Kingdom of God mostly existed online, there were occasional celebrations for devotees in various cities. In 2005, Wineland hosted the Feast of the Tabernacles. According to online accounts from former members of the church, one attendee allegedly felt unsettled as they realized that Wineland was the only person permitted to deliver a sermon. Apparently, this was unlike other religious feasts the person had experienced, and their feeling of being off-put only increased when Wineland made a shocking statement. According to this anonymous account, the church leader said that anyone new he baptized wouldn't hold the same status as people he had baptized years earlier. Trying to understand Wineland's reasoning, the attendee claims they pressed him to explain the unbiblical teaching, but Wineland dismissed their concern and refused to discuss the matter further. Shortly after, the disappointed follower left the church, but the rest of Wineland's hundreds of devotees seemingly accepted the change and remained loyal to him. And Wineland needed their support when the 57-year-old suffered a serious heart attack. Wineland survived, but it took weeks to fully recover. After going through this near-death experience, Wineland doubled down on his religious authority with more shocking disclosures for his followers. 
According to Bruce Grayson, a researcher and former professor of psychiatry, coming so close to death often leads a person to a new sense of their life's purpose. It can also change their relationship with God. Feeling as if they were spared from death can make them more active in their faith. Many people who survive a near-death experience feel a higher sense of spiritual purpose and a stronger commitment to their religious practice. In Wineland's case, after surviving his heart attack, he claimed he was the counterpart to St. John the Apostle, and like John, he was both apostle and a prophet. He also said that he was one of God's end times witnesses, as described in the book of Revelation. And not only that, Wineland also said his wife Laura was the other end times witness, and that their daughter was a prophet. With his family members helping run the church, Wineland was free to work on his new book. 2008, God's Final Witness delved into the prophecy and expected cataclysm in great detail. He warned again of an economic collapse, World War III, and said that billions would perish in autumn 2008. However, there was hope. Wineland said that members of his church were guaranteed to survive Armageddon. He wrote that the new millennial age for mankind will bring peace, equity, righteous judgment, prosperity, joy, and happiness on a level which will be so great that man cannot even imagine it. Wineland had used natural disasters in the recent past as evidence that his predictions were coming true. He claimed that the December 2004 tsunami in the Indian Ocean and August 2005's Hurricane Katrina, among other events, were proof that the end times had begun, and his adherents believed him. However, September 30th, 2008 came and went. There were no cataclysms, but even with this setback, the prophet didn't miss a beat. Wineland announced that he'd made a slight error. He said the new date of the apocalypse was now May 27, 2012. Despite his miscalculation, Wineland wasn't embarrassed. Instead, he doubled down and sought out mainstream publicity to spread the news about the new date. In 2009, Wineland appeared at an event in Toronto called Idea City. It was a TED Talk style setup, with 60-year-old Wineland standing on a stage in front of a screen with a small theater audience. Even though he was there to say that the world would end on May 27, 2012, he didn't come across like a stereotypical TV evangelist or a fire and brimstone preacher. He dressed conservatively in a khaki blazer over a white button-down shirt and wore reasonable glasses. He told the audience that he didn't expect them to believe what he was there to tell them, but that he hoped that in the future, when events he predicted came to pass, that they would remember his talk. He claimed that after giving us 6,000 years to govern ourselves, God realized we weren't capable of it and was coming back for us. Wineland then launched into a litany of the disasters the world could expect, including nuclear explosions and economic ruin. He said one-third of all human life would be destroyed in a third world war, but right before total annihilation, God would intervene and take charge. Wineland preached about the end of the world right up until he ran out of his allotted time and then stopped only to stand awkwardly on the stage as the audience gave him a smattering of applause. Later, Wineland ranted in a sermon that was posted to YouTube entitled, A Warning to Mockers. Wineland complained that people mocking him just didn't understand the job assigned to him by God. He threatened his critics. If they didn't stop insulting and lampooning him, they would die. 
Wineland assured his detractors that due to the power God gave him, they would be the first to suffer at the end of time. Wineland warned that they didn't have long and that their deaths wouldn't be quick. He said that sickness would rot them from the inside out. He made it clear that their demise would be because not only had they mocked God, but also Ronald Wineland. Coming up, Wineland and his church catch the eye of the IRS. Now, back to the story. After moving the projected date of the apocalypse, 60-year-old doomsday prophet Ronald Wineland continued to spread the message of the Church of God preparing for the Kingdom of God. But by 2009, his mood had turned dark and angry because it was around this time that he learned the IRS was investigating the Church's finances. However, nothing seemed to come out of the inquiry. Wineland continued with his online sermons, although knowing he was on the government's radar worried him, and that pressure made him sound even more unhinged in his broadcasts. In December of 2009, another Ronald Wineland video was posted to YouTube called God Hates Christmas. In the sermon, Wineland called the holiday a perversion of how Satan mocked and twisted the truths of God. He ranted against the commercialization of Christmas and equated the existence of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer to Satan meddling in the world. The fiery message didn't seem to turn off any of his followers. Instead, his online ministry was growing slowly all over the world, each believer looking to find safety in Wineland and his supposed one true church. We don't know how much any of them tithed, but if each sent him just $10 a week, Wineland would have made thousands of tax-free dollars a week. Unfortunately for Wineland, the money couldn't flow forever. The IRS hadn't actually given up their investigation and quietly put together their case. Then, on November 10, 2011, authorities indicted Wineland on five charges of tax evasion. They accused Wineland of misusing the church's money for personal needs, filing a false tax return, and not telling the government about his Swiss bank account. On November 26, 2011, Wineland posted a blog explaining that the case was part of God's plan and defending his innocence. He went on to declare his support for the taxation system, writing, members are to be as zealous in being faithful to God in tithing as they are faithful to God in paying their taxes to whatever government is over them. But before closing, he reminded readers that the world was in the final process of the end times. However, when May 27, 2012 came and went, Wineland told his followers the world was spared because of God's mercy. Unfortunately for Wineland, this meant that the United States government still stood, and a month later, his tax evasion trial began. In court, authorities accused the 63-year-old of living lavishly off of the tax-free tithes of his internet congregation. Assistant U.S. Attorney Robert McBride told jurors that church money paid for over half a million dollars of personal expenses for Wineland and his family. This allegedly included the mortgage and utilities for his home and Audra's home, and a BMW for his son, Jeremy. McBride also pointed out that although Wineland wasn't a tax expert, he never missed the opportunity to claim a tax deduction that was allowed for ministers. Wineland's lawyer, Robert Webb, attested that the accusations were based on misunderstandings of the church's beliefs. Webb explained that the gold and diamonds the Wineland family traveled with were to have something to barter with once the U.S. dollar lost its value. Webb wrapped up his defense by saying to the jury, 
Did he have a black heart and a dark mind when he engaged in these transactions? No. During the trial, U.S. District Judge Danny Reeves received letters from almost 200 supporters of Wineland. They defended him and begged for leniency. According to the Lexington, Kentucky Herald-Leader, some of the letters stated that Wineland had helped them conquer drug addictions or get through other hardships. When the proceedings were over on June 13, 2012, the jury deliberated for less than four hours. They found Wineland guilty on all five counts of tax evasion. Wineland was placed under house arrest until his sentencing on November 14, 2012. Prosecutors were hoping for five years in prison. However, the judge only sentenced Wineland to three and a half years and ordered him to pay $245,000 in restitution. While in prison, Wineland kept in touch with his followers by blogging. However, his time was limited. Wineland worked on a team that was given construction assignments. He and other prisoners remodeled houses, tore down parts of structures, and installed shingles. But all of this hard work came at a price for Wineland's health. In spring of 2015, Wineland occasionally felt a slight burning sensation in his chest. He tried to take a deep breath and felt a tightening. He thought it might be asthma or allergies. This had happened every once in a while over a few months, but he didn't feel it was a big deal. The next time it happened, Wineland told the other prisoners on the working crew that he needed to sit down and take a short break. He took a load off and tried to take long, slow breaths. He felt the sweat drying on his head and was able to relax. After a short time, the sensation in his chest passed, and he felt fine to work. He was starting to worry a little, though. After it happened a few more times, he made a plan to visit the prison medical unit during one of the episodes. Unfortunately, they always happened when he was on a job far from the prison. On May 28, 2015, he worked with his crew removing metal from walls inside the prison. While doing this, he experienced the familiar burning feeling in his chest. But this time, it was more severe. Even though it had been 10 years since the last one, he recognized that he was having a second heart attack. Guards rushed Wineland to the prison medical unit and the staff gave him nitroglycerin tablets until an ambulance arrived. At the hospital, nurses dashed him to an operating room and life-saving measures began. As nurses and doctors surrounded him, Wineland sat up in the bed and announced that he was going to die. He calmly laid back down and his heart stopped immediately. When the nurses saw him flatline on the monitor, they ran to the intercom and announced code blue. A defibrillator was rushed to Wineland's bedside and technicians administered shocks to his heart. The church leader then came back to life. Wineland didn't remember any of that. All he knew was that he woke up in the intensive care unit, but he relayed the whole experience on his blog. Once he recovered, authorities returned him to the prison. There, Wineland used his second near-death experience to fuel another book, which he called Prophecy Against the Nations. A year later, Wineland was released from prison and the 67-year-old published his new work. The book acknowledged that his predictions for the end of the world didn't happen, but this time, he suggested, it will be different. Everything he foretold was now coming to pass. He prophesied that Jesus Christ would return on June 9th, 2019, although he did leave a little wiggle room. In a June 9th, 2018 blog post, 
He wrote that the exact date depended on whether or not a third world war had broken out by March 2019. If it hadn't, then the date would be bumped a year to Pentecost 2020. Wineland went on to insert even more margin for error, writing that if the big event hadn't occurred at Pentecost, then there will be a space of more time that will be a matter of a few years. And in the meantime, the Church of God preparing for the Kingdom of God soldiers on, with Wineland at the helm, much like his idol Herbert Armstrong did with his radio broadcasts. Wineland reaches out to followers through the internet, mostly YouTube video sermons, and he continues collecting tithes. Tim Hutchings, a sociologist who studies religious groups, has found that since the early 2000s, a growing number of Christian churches have used videos to enable preachers to reach potential followers all over the world. According to Hutchings, many online churches foster a vibrant, interactive community through chats and forums. But he notes, according to a study by another scholar, Robert Howard, conservative fundamentalists are more apt to post videos that showcase their charismatic authority. To further this facade, they often limit comments on their content. Wineland's YouTube channel for his church remains very active, posting a sermon video every week. Additionally, the 71-year-old prophet maintains an active blog, with posts going up about every month. However, neither the YouTube sermons nor the blog allows comments, which emphasizes Wineland's dominance over his followers. On May 2, 2020, Wineland made use of the COVID-19 pandemic to spread his central message on his blog. He observed that being prepared for the end time by stocking up on three months' worth of food and other essentials might not seem as weird as it once did. While he seems to have stopped short of predicting another specific date for the apocalypse, he still referred to the end. He wrote, The event of the COVID-19 pandemic is proving to be the catalyst that will push nations into the final events that are about to be unleashed on a very unsuspecting world. And while we haven't seen nuclear war yet, it's true that the world as we know it was incontrovertibly altered in early 2020 when the pandemic began. We can be assured that Wineland will carry on using world events and disasters to add fuel to the fire of his doomsday predictions. And that his continued sermons about the impending apocalypse will draw his adherents closer and make certain that they loyally tithe and support the Church of God preparing for the Kingdom of God. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Cults was written by Christine Colby, with writing assistance by Robert Tyler Walker, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood. Cults stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. 